0: Let's pray. Thank you for that psalm, Heavenly Father. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding. It's like the beasts that perish. Helps us to put the things of the world into a proper perspective. Today, as we gather around your word, we ask that you would give us understanding that we may not be like those people. So much of our daily life is taken up with thinking on trivial things and doing lots of things that don't really matter in the long run. Today we ask that you'll draw to our attention again eternal matters and things that do matter to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Today's gathering will be similar to last week's, where there'll be a sermon, then a song, followed by a time for you to share gospel scriptures. Last week they were from the Gospel of Matthew, this week they'll be from the Gospel of Mark. Last week I spoke from the Gospel of Matthew and brought out different aspects of the Gospel. Remember I said the Gospel has many aspects like a multifaceted diamond or like an orchestra made up of many individual instruments. Or even like a continent made up of many different countries each with their uniqueness. We particularly paid attention to the witness of scripture, how Jesus, more than any other man, had details of his life foretold in scripture. We also spent some time finding out who is Jesus, what people thought of him, and who he revealed himself to be. And then we spent most of our time on the invitations. Remember the invitation of the wedding feast where the king invited people to the feast but they didn't come. So he sent out an invitation to all in common. And how many are called but few are chosen. Even one man who came to the feast was not fitted out suitably for the invitation. So he was cast out into outer darkness. And then there was the invitation where Jesus said to people that um, only he knows the Father and only he can reveal the Father to people. So come to me, he said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Today we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And our text is from verse 34 through to 38. But I'm going to give a bit of context and read from verse, 30, 20, seven, verse 27. And Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. So again, we see this focus on who Jesus is. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, and the King of Israel. Verse 31. Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now it's interesting that another gospel also has this same incident. That's the gospel of Luke. There are little differences between them. One adds a few more details, another one not so many. But there's one big difference and that's in this context here Mark is the only one who writes about Peter rebuking Jesus and Jesus' response. And we'll come back to that character of Peter a little later. You may want to note the final sentence of verse 33 where Jesus says, For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that's kind of like a topic sentence for the paragraph that follows. Verse 34 starts, And calling the crowd to him. This again is an invitation, a gospel invitation from Jesus. He doesn't just select a few people to tell. He calls the whole crowd and tells us this important message. It's quite different from Luke's, Matthew's invitations, which were um, quite mild and welcoming in a way. Uh, Come to me, all ye who are, are laboring and heavy laden. This one is kind of strict and plain. He's going to tell them that there is there's suffering involved in being a Christian and there's things that you can't have which you would normally want to have. Take up your cross, he said to them. The cross was a common, I was going to say symbol, but it wasn't a symbol. It was a common factor in daily life in those times. They say up to 2,000 Jewish people were crucified. Take up your cross and follow me. So evidently on the way to the crucifixion site, the people would normally have strapped to them the crossbar on which they would be crucified later so Jesus is saying to them take up your cross and follow me is saying to them look you're on your way to death and suffering and also the fact that he said follow me implies that he himself was in that position going ahead of them taking up his cross deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me so he's talking really about repentance. You're going to have to make a change. You've been living this way, but now to follow me, you've got to change and be like this. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and who, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So it, it, it is a Gospel invitation. He's talking about lives being saved. He's not just saying there's going to be suffering ahead. He's saying, Your life will be saved. Come to me. That's the same invitation. They are not to put their self first, but Christ and the gospel. That idea of saving yourself, remember when Jesus was actually on the cross and people were going by and jeering at him. One thing they called out was, save yourself. That was uh, advice of the world. You're the Christ, you're the King of Israel, save yourself. That's how people live, to save themselves. But Jesus didn't. He saved us. Verses 36 and 37. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? At first verse 36, what can a man give? Sorry, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world? Reminds me of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. He asked Jesus, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus told him the commandments to follow. He said, I've kept all those. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. He said, one thing you lack, go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And the man went away. He preferred to try to gain what he could of the whole world. And he ended up losing his life. Verse 37, about what can a man give in return for his soul, reminds me of the psalm that Tim just read, Psalm 49, especially verses 7 and 8. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice. There is no price you can pay in return for your soul. overall verses 34 to 37 the part that we've read so far talking about suffering and talking about the temptation of riches remind me of the parable of the sower remember Jesus told the parable of the man sowing seeds scattering it and it fell on four soil types the first one was very stony and the birds came and took it away and the last one was very good soil, and it grew up to produce much much grain But the other two started with the one that was on shallow soil. It grew up really well at first. But when the sun came out, it withered and died. And Jesus says that represents the people who come to him. But when suffering comes, they fall away. And then the third of those soil types was Good soil, but there were many weeds there. And the weeds grew up and choked the plants. And Jesus said that's like the the cares of this world, the riches, the things people want. They come up and choke the people. And so in a way, I think Jesus is telling this gospel invitation to forewarn people about those things that they will encounter as Christians. You will encounter suffering and you will encounter the temptation to gain what you can of the world. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. You've got to lose your life. And if you don't, you'll forfeit your soul. Verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels, the holy angels. Whoever is ashamed of me who is the person you think of? The person who is ashamed of him? I think it's the people he's just been describing. The people who do not deny themselves. People who do not take up their cross to follow Jesus. People who seek to save their life and to gain things. They're the people who are ashamed of Jesus. At the time of writing this gospel, they say that Mark was a pastor in the city of Rome. He was a pastor also during the time when Nero started to persecute the Christians and to kill them. as a the pastor of a church in rome and as a gospel writer i'm sure he picked and choos, chose chose, chose, chose <laughs> picked and chose incidents from jesus life which would really be helpful to his own congregation own congregation and i think this is Mark's reason for including these things here they were facing persecution and the temptation which some did give into was to distance themselves from Jesus. To be ashamed. Shame a, or being ashamed is a a common thing. It's common in that time, it's common in our time today. Um, You'll often see the theme come up in in movies, especially if you watch a movie about some teenager. Um, The teenager has a good, the hero of the story has a great, friend group good people and then the hero somehow gets drawn into the bad group maybe he's done something that impressed them and gets invited in the bad group of course despise other friends and the hero of the story also begins to be ashamed of his former friends or her former friends Being a movie, the hero does get a chance to change, which is good. But the the theme of shame is is common. We can be tempted in our thoughts, our words, or our deeds to put distance between ourselves and Christ. Especially in social situations, not just face-to-face, but also online, to hold back from saying things or... um, to be ostracized by the other people and want to fit in. I remember uh, in my senior high school days of having some friends. Uh, I'd been raised in a Christian home. It was common among probably the, the school population to use lots of curse words and swear words, which I for a long time didn't join in with, but there came a time when I, I remember saying things and being one of the boys for a while. Um, God in his grace took me out of that but yeah I had that shame of what a Christian is and uh, it's not good Jesus reminds them here though the son of man is going to come in glory the glory of his father with his holy angels there is suffering as Christians Paul reminded us that The suffering cannot be compared to the glory that will follow. Glory, which some of them were to get a preview of a few days later, three of them, including Peter. You'd think that seeing that glory of Jesus when he was transfigured before them and his clothes is white, whiter than any washing could make them, you'd think that would kind of make them realize who Jesus is and stop them from being ashamed of Jesus. But those three and all the disciples, when Jesus was arrested, fled. They put distance between themselves and Jesus. They were out there to save their lives. They were all ashamed. Peter, the most clearly In fact, since it's got such relevance, I think we'll read that passage from Mark, chapter 14, verses 66 through to the end of the chapter, Mark 14. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept, which is the appropriate response when we do things that show We are ashamed of Jesus. Mark included both chapter eight and those verses in chapter fourteen. I'm sure for the Roman Christians, some, as I said, had denied Christ, but later, like Peter, wept and repented, and like Peter and all the disciples. Because of what Jesus did on the cross and rising from from the dead, they were forgiven. Because Jesus chose the way of shame, not to save his life, but to save theirs. That would be a great encouragement for the Roman Christians and for us who follow in his footsteps. Throughout the New Testament, Paul encourages Christians not to be ashamed. Even not to be ashamed of him and his gospel preaching. And he said of himself, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation. And Peter told people to rejoice when people insult you. introduction for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man let's pray thank you for the gospel and this passage And Jesus makes it so clear that it's not an easy believing thing. That's a daily thing. And it involves identifying closely with him, the Christ, the Son of God, the one who's coming in glory. And if we are ashamed of him, if we put distance between ourselves and him, He will do the same when he comes. But also a reminder that he is the one who gave his life to forgive us that we may have eternal life in his presence forevermore. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.